This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 71, with Vanessa Van Edwards. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and today's guest is Miss Vanessa Van Edwards, and she has a brand and website slash company called The Science of People. And I heard her on a couple other podcasts, and I really wanted to bring her on because I feel like people skills and understanding how that works, how people interact is essential to business because Having charisma, having people skills is essential to selling your work, selling yourself and selling your product, which is your service, your craft and interacting with people is huge. Building relationships is huge and learning about yourself and how you interact is is a part of that. Vanessa is a behavioral investigator and published author. She figures out the science of what makes people tick at her human behavior research lab. As a geeky modern day Dale Carnegie, her innovative work actually has been featured on NPR, Business Week, CNN, and many other places. Vanessa loves delivering aha moments. She loves showing people the hidden side of their behavior. She teaches that having a fascinating, interesting conversation that helps people or makes them think is her number one goal beyond selling or promoting anything. Learning is key. Have you ever gone to a social situation, party, event, and felt so awkward and not knowing how to start a conversation? I know I feel like that all the time when I go to places of big groups and I don't know anyone. Well, something we dive into is how to start conversations, where to be at a party to initiate conversations with people. We also learn what charisma actually is, what the breakdown is, and how you can actually learn to be more charismatic in your own social situations in your own life. We learn about the psychology of selling and how it's all about building trust. We learn how to build trust with someone in seven seconds. We also learn about the psychology and power behind a smile and many other things. And oh yeah, one other thing I want to mention before we jump in is that we finished the How to Create a Career in Art podcast miniseries, so I'm going to start taking questions of things that you guys would like to hear. So tweet at me, at Nick Honkin, if you have any questions, or find me on Facebook, and that's facebook.com slash Nick Honkin or Nick Honkin Photo. And without further ado, I bring to you the one, the only, Miss Vanessa Van Edwards. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Today we've got the one and only Vanessa Edwards from The Science of People. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you. Uh, people and science and psychology is something that absolutely fascinates me. And so I think I first heard you, I don't know, if, were you on Lewis's podcast? I was, yeah. yeah. So Lewis and Jordan Harbinger, like cool. all buddies of mine. Cool. And I was like, I got to have her on. You're the cool crowd. The cool crowd. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are? We you are? guys are. We are. Why yeah. are we the cool crowd? I don't know. You're like the cool guys. I, f- I feel like honor that I get to like sometimes sit with you in your yeah. coolness. 
You're cool. No. Yeah. I'm a recovering awkward person. Really? Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, really geeky. Totally. I was like that girl who used to beg teachers to stay in at recess because I was like huh. too afraid of the playground. Huh. And why is that? I, I think that like the kids my age, they were scary and loud and they ran really fast. <laughs> I was like the girl who would like be drawing in the corner, you know, like reading my homework like three days ahead of time. Wow. I know. Uh, I know. Mm. Well, I want to dive more into that, but let's, let's jump in. What is the science of people first of all? So people that sure. are listening can know what that is. And then we'll jump back to where you started and how you got there. Yeah, sure. So, uh, we're a human behavior research lab and we study all the hidden forces that drive our behavior. So mm. from, as you mentioned, body language, psychology, lie detection, what makes us tick, why we do what we do, how to fix it. Wow. So is it an actual lab? Do you have like scientists running around? And stuff? So we have, we have research assistants. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess sort of scientists. I do have a lab coat, but it's far too big for me. Oh. Um, like I get made fun of when I wear it. Cause it's like, it's huge. It's, it was like one of those one size fits all that you get. And so it like goes down to my ankles. Oh, that is, that is a very long, <laughs> it's a very long, you didn't coat. want to take it to the tailor. Like. <laughs> I know. Well, do, can you tailor a lab coat? Can you really? They can tailor anything. Okay. I'm going to try. Know? I'm going to try. So yes, we, we have a, a four, a team of four. So we're small. Okay. Um, we rent out different spaces in Portland, Oregon. And then a lot of our lab experiments are actually online. So okay. we'll do like uh, quizzes or tests. And then we like look at the results mm. and look for patterns. Wow. Wow. I, t I took your test, the 20 questions test <laughs> online. It was pretty accurate. It was pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. I can't, I can't tell you too much because if people listening want to take it, I don't want to ruin it for them. But basically we were studying different things that how we could define personality by very simple statements, mm. such as I am a leader or I'm not a leader. What does it say about you if you agree strongly or disagree with that statement? Mm. And so we have these 20 questions and I see if I can play 20 questions to guess your personality. <laughs> and uh, well, so I guess I did okay on yours. Yeah, Pretty you good. did great. All you right, cool. Great. Well, we'll link that up in the show notes so people cool. can go check it out. That's part of one of our, that's a, one of our research experiments. So it's actually very helpful when everyone takes it. Oh, awesome. Very cool. So you, now I, I we just met yes. in person Yes. and I feel like you're very, you, you exemplify your brand. Oh, thanks. Very, very, very warm, very open, very outgoing. Yeah. And, um, but you say you weren't always like that. No. So what, how, how did you start? How were you when you were little and what kind of perked a, this whole awakening to a different, different world and, and embarking on this journey? Yeah. My family put a big emphasis on technical skills. So, um, book knowledge, homework, uh, IQ, SAT scores, that was very valued in mm. my family. And so that's what I put all my energy into. I didn't understand the importance of relationships of people. And I also didn't know how much joy I could get from them either. Mm. Um, it was much more like, could I get the A? Could I get the whatever a little certificate of achievement award it was? And um, so it was hard. I mean, it was, I had a very, I feel like I, when I think of my childhood, I think of me like sitting in my room alone. Like mm. that's all I think of. And when I was in college, I was arguing with a professor because he wanted me to do a group project. And I was like, he's like, you have a 10 page paper. You got to write it with your group. And I was like, what if I write you a 20 page paper, but I do it by myself. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, Vanessa, this isn't about the writing. This is about the people. Mm. It's about the teamwork. I don't, you know, it's not about the paper. And like, 
I looked at him like he was speaking a foreign language and that was, and he said, you know, let me give you a couple of things. I said, I don't, I'm not, I don't know how to work with people very well. And mm. so he gave me like a psychology textbook, an anthropology textbook. <laughs> and it started this idea that people are not only essential for our growth, but also give us a lot of happiness. Mm, mm, that's great. So that was, that was when you were in high school. That was when I was in uh, early college. Early college. Yep. And so I started studying people from a very scientific perspective, you know, from the textbooks. I mean, really, like I was like, when people smile, it means like, I mean, like, it was like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, wow. I had like flashcards with conversation starters. I'm like, not joking. I had, con- I had flashcards with conversation starters. That's just how I, I learn. Um, okay. and so it was very sciencey kind of like the math side of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, after a few years I was running my own business online and I, someone asked me about this process and they said, you, know, you should share some of that, some of those, sci- those facts. Yeah. So I started putting it up on the blog and people really liked it. They were like, Oh, I, I struggle with people too. What are the conversation starters you put on those flashcards? <laughs> And there the science evil was born. Absolutely. I love that. So now when you were studying this in, in college, you were actually applying it as well. Yes. It was very much like hypothesis. If you <laughs> uh, tell a funny story, then people will laugh and you will make friends. It was like that. It was, it was very much like that in college. Wow, <laughs> I would like take notes. Like I had like a notebook where I took notes on, on different things. And what I learned in the end, which I think won't surprise people listening, what we all learn is that actually all those things that you add or tricks that you try, they don't work. In yeah. fact, you're much better off stripping all of it away and just showing up and talking about what you love talking about and being mm. yourself. And that is like the best way that you can be. Mm, I like that. It took many years to get to that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like we all like have all these walls that were these beliefs and these limited beliefs that we built up throughout the years and it inhibits us from, yeah. from that. And it's a lot to break. It's a lot to like push through. So when you were like on this cusp, like internally, what were you feeling? You know, when you were, when you kind of hit this point, you were realize that you were introverted yeah. and like hiding and afraid. And then you just hit this, I want to like learn everything that I can. What, what was that break? What was the tipping point for that? I think I, it was as if I had been given, like the feeling was I had been given a math formula to a problem I've been so, trying to solve my whole life. Mm. And I didn't actually know that there was a formula out there. Mm. And so I think that there is, I think that, um, people don't like people's skills is always talked about like soft skills. I actually don't think people's skills are soft skills. I think they are hard skills. Yeah. Um, it's both art and science. And so it was like that switch where I realized that it wasn't something extra. It wasn't something that was this big black mystery box, that mm. actually it was quite solvable. And it was something that I could do if I put energy towards it. Mm. So how formulaic was it compared, like how, how you, it sounded like you were building formulas mm-hmm. and then it just become natural, you know, natural subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so like, for example, let's take charisma, for example. Mm-hmm. So charisma is like this magic quality that everyone talks about. And in college I was like, I want to be charismatic. You know, I want to be magnetic, <laughs> whatever it was. Like, cause there was all these, these like students who, who I would see walk on campus and they just, they lit up the room, you know, like everyone knew them and they were so, and I was like, wow. How do they do that? And <laughs> charisma was this thing. And so I was like, well, what does charisma mean? Like from a scientific perspective, from a human behavior perspective, what are we talking about when we're talking about charisma? So charisma is actually broken down into two qualities, mm. um, warmth and competence. Mm. And they a very highly charismatic people have the perfect blend of both of those characteristics. Mm. So someone who is just warm, 
They are friendly, they're approachable, but they're kind of pushovers. You wouldn't go to them for like credible advice. Mm. People who are just competent are credible, powerful, capable, but they're not warm. They're not a good team player. They're not inviting. So the people, the best leaders, and I'm sure you could even think of like presidents who have this, that they embody both. They're approachable Mm. and warm, but they're incredibly credible and powerful. And so those are the two Mm. things at play. Now that's a formula, you know, it's warmth plus competence equals charisma, but it's also a feeling. It's also, wow, like here's someone who he truly loves what he's doing, right? Like, let's say, let's, let's like pick the most innocuous example, like a, a jock. Okay. Okay. With lots of friends. <laughs> um, and you know that he's not learning any tricks or doing anything. He just, that's just the way he is. So his warmth and competence, his warmth is that he's team captain. So he understands how he has to motivate his team and he has to make sure that every single person on his team feels like they're comfortable. And in competence, he knows his sport really well. Mm. He knows every play for that, for, for all the football history in his town. He knows all the positions. He knows all the, he can guide everyone. And he balances this beautiful warmth and competence in his own natural, authentic way. Mm. So it was like that, that I would start to see, oh, like they're not calculating how warm they need to be. They just happen to embody those principles. Mm. So you feel like this is learned behavior or is this something that's innate? I think it's both. I think there are some people who are absolutely born with it. There are even some people who are born with it, but get into the wrong line of work. Mm-hmm. So they like their charisma, they're charismatic with their friends, but they're in the, they're in a, a workplace that they either don't feel competent or they don't feel very welcome. So they lose that charisma. So I think it can be both learned or innate. Mm, so how would one go about learning charisma? So that's, that's me, right? Like I, I am barely learning charisma now, right? <laughs> like, um, and that is, I think, um, similar to that jock that we were just talking about. So a figuring out warmth, how you can be in environments around people who make you thrive. Mm. So we talk a lot about introverts and extroverts. That's like a very popular, it's the rise of the introvert, right? Everyone, everyone's talking about it. Um, Most people actually are not introverts or extroverts. They're ambiverts Mm. and ambiverts can turn on or off these different qualities. And that I think is very powerful since most of us have certain situations and people who turn us on or turn us off. That's an aspect of warmth. So you think of what are the places in your life or the people in your life where you're your best self, where you feel incredibly welcome. You feel like you could talk about anything. You feel like they accept you for you. Mm-hmm. That gets your warmth covered, right? Like I know for me, I thrive in like learning environments. Like we're talking about something real yeah. classrooms. Um, I love like small groups, like one-on-one coffees or two or three people around like a dinner table. I survive invents like nightclubs. Not, not so great. A little, little <laughs> overwhelming for me. Uh, loud bars. Uh, I get really over concerts. Yeah. Th- those are survival locations for me. So I mm. know the moment I go into those interactions, I am, I lose all my warmth because mm. I'm scared yeah. or uncomfortable. So sticking to the thrive locations and then competence is sticking to topics and areas that you feel like you're a badass, right? Like you're like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> it doesn't have to have it all the time, but I think yeah. it's a different way of thinking about so that activates the, the competence side. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And like, I think that once you're aware of those two things, it becomes so much easier to understand the formula mm. instead of being like, wow, that party was great. Have no idea why <laughs> can be like, wow, that party was great. It was so different than normal. What about it? Like, I really felt like myself, oh, you know, these people were there from high school. I love them. And then we were like, I don't know, talking about, uh, uh, the latest, the latest thing in the New Yorker. And I love that, like whatever it is. And you can start mm-hmm. seeing patterns in your own behavior. 
Yeah. I know for myself when I go, there's certain parties where I just feel completely awkward in. Mm. And then there's other parties where I feel like on top and I feel good. Yeah. But it's a very, those are very seldom, I would say. Yes. Um, I think, and it probably has a lot to do with like the vibe and the group of people there, the energy of the party versus, you know, what, like the type of party that is. So I'd be so curious to look at those parties. Um, it like if you almost like, you know, people take food logs, like what if you were to do like an event log, right. And think like, what are the patterns of the parties that worked, the ones that kind of worked and the ones that didn't work at all? Mm. Like what, what was missing or what was added that changed the ingredient that like something didn't work for me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know like you, like for me, it's like the, it's the inspiring conversations. It's mm-hmm. like talking about more than just fluff and, you know, and actually that's like a question I want to ask you is like, how do you, you know, there's, there's the parties, the places that have these people generally, but if you're in a party that's not like that or a, a social situation, how about that? Mm-hmm. How do you create that? Like, what kind of questions can you ask? Cause I know for me, like when I'm, you know, conversation starters are definitely hard, especially <laughs> if you don't know anybody. I'm really yes. good once I can get, you know, once if somebody introduces me, cool. But even there, it's like, sometimes people are, are awkward and it's really yeah. hard to make conversation. And some people you're just like, you get into a jam with and it's like, bam. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I feel like being in social situations, you need to, if you want to be able to create that within, with anybody. Yeah. So, um, I think that the hardest part about that is you cannot focus on trying to impress people. I think that when, when you're going into a place, you're like, oh, I want to impress. Maybe is a too big of a word connect mm-hmm. when you're trying to connect with people. Usually the opposite happens unfortunately. So what I would say is shift, what I try to do is shift my focus to getting them out of automatic. Mm. So what happens in any social situation, and I'm sure you notice this, is you literally have scripted conversations. You walk up to someone and you're like, so where are you from? Yeah. So what do you do? Cool. So uh, how long have you been here? I mean, like it's the same conversation. You don't even think about the questions or the answers. And so it's this really weird thing that humans do where you're literally with a new person and you're talking about nothing. You're talking about nothing. You're using none of your brain to have this super automatic conversation. Yeah. What, what, what's the brain loves is when you get out of these automatic patterns and it's all revolves around something called dopamine. So dopamine Mm. is part of the pleasure center. And so you can absolutely stimulate someone's dopamine in conversation. And the way that you do that is you give them something new, something different to talk about. So my entire goal in a conversation is to get people off of social scripts. Mm. I don't even care how that happens, but if you're asking questions that are purposely not social scripts, then you, their brain literally like wakes up for you and you will notice like some, they might do a double take. They might kind of, their eyes might widen and they, and they literally go, huh. And they have to think like, like, I have to think about that. Yes. You mean you have to think, right? Cause your brain is off. (laughs) And so we both benefit. Like we both are like, wow, we're having a real conversation. Dopamine is triggered. You start talking about stories, conversation starters. Um, so what I would recommend is how can you not ask those same three questions? Is there something else that you can talk to them about or ask them about that's going to get them out of automatic? Mm, do you have a couple examples? Sure. So, um, well, first of all, it's always to open a conversation. It's very easy to use context. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether I, my favorite places to go up to people are, I call them the sweet spots in like events. <laughs> what happens is, and again, like this is the science side of me. So I, I'll sit and observe people at events and watch their foot patterns. Yeah. Always. When people walk into an event, they usually will go check in either at the check-in table of a networking event or with the host say that they're here. Mm-hmm. It's like there's, te- there's timestamp card. Yeah. I'm here. Then almost always they will make a beeline for the, for drinks 
get a drink in their hand and then they'll either go to food or the bathroom. Typically that's the beeline unless a friend, they know a friend and that stops them before they get there. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have a friend, that's always the pattern people make. So the worst place to stand is actually right by the door because people have not been able to like feel their surroundings yet. Mm. Right. They have not been able to like take, take a like, okay, here's, here's the lay of the land. Here are the people who are here. The best place to stand is right after someone gets their first drink Mm. because that's when they're like, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. Does anyone know me? What should I do? (laughs) And they, and you'll watch people watch them for like five minutes after they leave the bar. People will like look around very quickly. Like, do I know anyone? Do anyone? anyone?" And they either beeline to the bathroom because they don't beeline to the food because they don't or take out their phone. Mm. So by standing right there, you kind of give people a gift, (laughs) right? Because they're, they're already in, they're in this, like this moment, this like little tiny brief moment of, of openness, of like, I don't know anyone. And you can, then you can walk up and be like, and here's your opportunity for going into a different kind of conversation. So, um, you could say, so what are you drinking? That's, that's, that's a pretty common one. Okay. Mm -hmm. And usually they just had a drink in their hand. Oh, you know, got, got their red. And then instead of being like, so what do you do? You can say, is that your drink of choice? Do you love wine? Whatever it is based on that, keep it innocuous. Like, you know, don't go too deep, too fast, mm-hmm. but at least you're not going to the very typical kind of conversation starters. So I always like to base it on what we're doing in the moment. Got it. Got it. And then how do you lead that into more of a deeper conversation? So it's really easy. Um, I try to get them talking about personal passions of any kind. Mm. So that's why d- drinks usually work really well because for example, they'll say, oh yeah, wine. Oh, do you like wine? let's say, let's go. No, no, you know, no, kind of. Oh, so I'm, I'm a huge foodie. Like I love food. Oh yeah. I love food too. Great. We can talk about that. Or, you know, I was, I was in Chile last, last year for their crush harvest season. Have Mm. you ever um, done any like wine travel, right? Like you just very easily can get into like travel, food, wine. And if it's not one of those three things, usually you can find something, something around there. Everyone (laughs) loves wine, food, or travel or alcohol, food, or travel or music. Yeah. You can usually get one of those four and then you get on the personal passion topic. Got it. And you're like on the run for it. Got it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. So let's jump back a little bit. I know we talked about, I want to talk about the, the, the moment that you realized you were, af- what you were afraid of mm-hmm. when it came to social situations. What mm-hmm. was that for you? Um, being judged. Mm. And I, as I study people more and more, I realize that there's something very real to like the iceberg illusion where oh. uh, we all like sort of interact above the surface of the water, right? We have these like little tiny tips of ourselves that are showing, but Mm -hmm. there is so much happening beneath the water. Um, Like there's so much more to us than what we show up as. Mm. Like someone can show up at a party or networking event and you see so little of them as a human, so little. Like what they're wearing, maybe what they did today, maybe a couple of personal passions. They have all this underneath that's going on for them. And so I think that the fear was, is that I was the only one who had all that. Mm. And then the realization was everyone does. Yeah. And it's, that's okay. Mm. Right. Like that is okay to not have to, to have all this under there and you know, it's there and the real people in your life who you really care about and like, they're going to see it and they're going to be there and it's going to be okay with them. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. That's a, that's a powerful, I mean, I, I know I've had the fear of judgment all the time mm-hmm. and, I, and, and it was funny cause I went through this whole emotional intelligence and leadership training a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and that's what really helped me discover that I, that that was even there mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that, you know, and it, how inhibiting that can be. So much. And when you talk about that, like I've actually tried and I wouldn't recommend this t- unless you're really 
brave socially. Um, I've tried doing like really deep conversation starters with people right off the bat just to see what would happen. Mm. Um, and one of the things I talk about is being judged mm-hmm. right away. I mean, even like the very beginning of this podcast, like I was like right out with it. Like that was my, my first thought when you mentioned awesome Jordan and cool Lewis and you, and you're super cool was like, I am not cool enough. And I was like, you know what, instead of pretending that I'm cool enough for this whole podcast, I'm just going to say right now that like, I, I hope I'm cool enough. Right. So like, I'm usually pretty transparent about that. Yeah. And the moment you mention any kind of like fear of judgment, people usually are so as you were like, wow, thank you for telling me not at all. Or, or here's how I feel about that. And it, opens up this really interesting avenue. And so that's why I started off with that because that was truly what I felt in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, Jordan and Lewis are going to be laughing at me. I hope they don't listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're both great people though. Of course. (laughs) Of course. And they're so cool. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Now you, you said you were, was it, um, was it Amber? Ambivert. Ambivert. And yes. I just learned this term the other day. My friend was, we were just yeah. talking about that and I never even heard it, which I would consider myself an ambivert. Yes. Cause I'm not, I don't feel like I'm like really an introvert, but I am introverted in some respects and extroverted in others. I would agree. You're an ambivert too. Yeah. Mm, so actually, can you explain that for those people that don't know what yes. an ambivert is? Yes. So for the first way that you might know that you might be an ambivert is if when people call you an extrovert introvert, part of you rebels inside, like part of you is like, nah, I don't like being put in that category. <laughs> um, that that's usually, you know, that, um, and you want to go, but, but, but right. If they call you an extrovert yep. introvert and that is because yes, <laughs> ambiverts can turn on or off their different skills. Um, so they can be very extroverted sometimes, especially in those thrive locations. Mm. And sometimes they absolutely need that, like recovery time, that away from people time. And so it's sometimes they get energy from people, but not always. Mm. And so it's, they actually, a lot of ambiverts, it's a skill to be able to turn it on or off if you know how to use it. Right. Mm. It's a, ambiversion is a super, superpower that if you don't know how to use it right, it can really hurt you because some ambiverts, they want to be extroverts. And so they try to be on all the time mm. and it burns them out and wears them out. And some introverts, they really want to stay introverts and they get ashamed when they're like, you know, I do need my people time. Yeah. So like it's, it's actually, it's a superpower that if you have it, like own it, yeah. you know that you can adapt in different situations. Perfect. Yeah. So what have you learned in terms of being able to turn it on and off? Cause I mean, I know that I struggle that, with that sometimes, you know, sometimes there's just, I'm out in social situation. I want to be like, yeah. you know, outgoing and out there and I just don't feel like it. Yeah. But then like it, I don't know. There's sometimes that I want to turn it on and then I know I need to retreat and like go and like spend some time by myself. I do not think we are kind enough to ourselves in a lot of ways. I think that knowing when that ambiversion goes on and off is like, how do you refuel? Mm. Like really, like not just like an extra thought, like like an afterthought, like really, what do you need to recharge? Mm -hmm. Like as if your body was a battery and I know that it's not, when do you run on empty and what causes you to deplete faster? Right. And so it's thinking about, okay, you know what? I know that if I have a long day at work and then, and then I go to a networking event and then I'm supposed to get drinks with friends, by the time I get to drink drinks with friends, I want to be thinking about all I want to do is get in bed. Don't do the drinks with friends. Right. So it's figuring out like, when do you deplete Mm. and when do you recharge and how do you recharge? So like, I know that like, for example, I was in New York all week and New York is like a, it's an extrovert city. 
You know, it's, it's, it's very like, it's fast moving. Everyone's it's very, you're next to people all the time. Uh, You're seeing a lot of, I am seeing a lot of college friends and business friends. And so before and after my New York trips, I like take a full day on either end to just totally recharge because I know that I won't have as much fun in New York if I don't do that. Mm. So it's, it's figuring it out what you need to do to, to replug in. Yeah. I, I definitely need to like right now I'm like, I just got back from LA and it was just like, you know, I was running, running, running yeah. and I'm like, I need to go and just recharge. Exactly. Just be home. Yeah. And, and also like figuring out what that is. So like I talk, I, I research a lot on happiness science, like how happiness works. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, it's not an, it's not a simple topic. Uh, happiness. I, we think it is. We're like, Oh yeah, we want to be happy. No, it's like a very complicated topic. Mm. And one of the things about that is that, you know, some of the activities that we think are very happy making for us are actually very low return on investment. Mm. So for example, I'm just going to throw out like Netflix. Like usually when we get home, we're like, Oh, I need to recharge. We like lay down in bed, pull out our Netflix that actually might not be the best way for you to recharge or refuel. It's a very uh, low return on investment for time for uh, get, reach, give back. Mm. And so it's thinking about like, really, what is it that recharges you? Like, is it Netflix? Is it yoga? Is it painting? Is it music? Is it like cleaning up your house? I mean, you'd be surprised mm. what some of these activities are for people as I'm researching it, yeah. but it might not be the most obvious thing in there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, I love creating, but then like, I, I guess I'm like, so go, go, go all the time. Yeah. And then like laying down and just like watching Netflix is just like, oh, I don't have to like my brain turn. Like I don't have to like really think. Yeah. And maybe for you, that is the best way when you're running, running, running. But maybe if you're like mentally fatigued, what's another thing that you could do? So you could think about like, what are the other activities that recharge you? Like for me, it's sports. Mm. Like I love playing tennis. I love hiking. Yeah. I play soccer, like play baseball. And like for me, being in a game, like playing a game, it's the best way for my brain to turn off but not be sleeping. Mm. So like when you're in the game, all you think about is that game. I mean, like when, I don't know if you've ever played indoor soccer, but like it is so hard that you are not thinking about emails. You are not thinking about drama. You're not thinking about anything yeah. but that soccer ball. And for me, that is like a great recharge. Uh, so that's why Portland's your city. That's why Portland's my city. <laughs> exactly. Everyone plays. We'll play sports with me and drink coffee. <laughs> and, and hikes. And, <laughs> and hikes literally like six days a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I want to hear more about the happiness that you're researching. Um, is that a new project? New-ish. So uh, I started studying happiness about three and a half, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, understand Basically with the realization that I was sitting at a, a baby shower and um, it was like one of those things where you had a bowl of questions for the mom to be. Mm-hmm. And she pulled out a question. It was like, what is one wish that you have for your child? And she said, happiness. And then everyone goes around the table and everyone answers it. And everyone was some version of happiness. Mm. I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, these are women from all different places and they all want happiness. Okay. And so when it was my turn for a question, I was like, how do you give your child happiness? Because if everyone wants it and that's the number one thing they want, then they had to have thought about how they're going to give it. And like, I, I think I'll never get invited to a baby shower again because they were not happy that I asked that. Like people, like it broke people, you know, it's like, like everyone like broke from the question. People were like, they looked at me like, well, you, you know, you just, you just love them and, and they're happy. Yeah. And like the, they said it to me so angry and I realized there was this huge disconnect 
with we all want, we all say that we want happiness. All everyone says they want happiness for themselves and their child. When you ask them, what specifically do you do in your life to get more happiness? Or how would you give happiness to someone else? The answer is not so simple. Mm. And so that was about three and a half years ago. So I started a research experiment on happiness where I started to do, I have something called the happiness audit. Mm. where people take uh, this audit and it's free. It's just, it's for us to get research and it helps them figure out how happy are you really? Wow. What are your happiness levels and what are the patterns? What what are the patterns of the happiest people and the unhappiest people? What is the difference between wow. them? And so that was, that started about three and a half years ago. So what are you finding that, that like, what are you finding in those patterns right now? So the happiest people do not think of happiness as an afterthought. They have a very easy time answering the question, what do you do to make yourself happier? What are the activities that cause you the most happiness? They know exactly what the answer is. And they've, they've built happiness into the structure of their lives. Mm. So they literally have happiness built in so they don't have to make it a constant exercise. And they also think of it more like a foreign language. Interesting. So most of us think of happiness as like a, like a side effect or a state of being or something that we deserve. Mm. Uh, the thing is, is very much like a foreign language. We actually have to practice speaking it. We have mm-hmm. to hone it. We have to understand like the language and the conjugation. And that is exactly what happy people do. Like, for example, um, happiness comes from things that we don't think of, obviously. So it's not just like eating dessert, right? That's mm-hmm. like the most obvious happiness producing activity. Sure. But actually happiness comes also from capability. Mm. So mastery, feeling really good at something, feeling like you're just like you're the best above average, that is an incredibly happiness producing activity. Mm. But we don't think about that when we think about like, I want to get myself out of a funk or I'm in a bad mood or I'm not happy with my life right now. We don't usually think about how, how do we add more mastery into our lives? So that's like one example of Mm. how happiness, it comes from different, different things than just the obvious. And that's why we have to practice it. Yeah. Sharpen our, sharpen our tool set. I like that. So people can just kind of see where they can access that. I, yeah, my, my challenge for you on that is to think about what are, and you can do a couple of kind of brain dumps on like, you know, when you have a piece of paper out is, uh, what do you feel better than average at? Um, what would most of your friends say that you are extremely good at Mm. and what moment skill or activity makes you feel incredibly capable? Mm. Um, it's a very weird, I mean, that's like not a thing we're asked a lot and it can be as don't, don't, don't do big do small. And I mean like as small as, so I've been watching, you know, thousands of people at this point, take these, do these answers for me. Yeah. And uh, the more specific, the happier you are. Like the happier people get really specific. Like for example, <laughs> one of my interns in the lab. So she did this first for me and she goes, you know, what makes me feel so good. And I was like, what is it? And she was like, organizing my inbox. And I was like, <laughs> And I started laughing. I was like, really? She was like, oh my gosh. I just feel like, I just like, I'm like, yeah, you're in this folder. You're in this folder. You're in this folder. And she like, and she like lit up and I just couldn't believe it. And it's because she's very organized. She's very conscientious. She loves like strategy. And so for her, that was an activity that she looked forward to at the end of every day, but she didn't think about it like that. Mm. At the end of every day, she would organize her inbox in different (laughs) folders. And she was, and she said, you know, I'm going to really look forward to that activity. It's like something very small, but yeah. it does actually bring her joy. And so th- mm. get small, get narrow on the activities. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you teach happiness to your kids? Or is this, are you still putting everything together to come to this? Hy- yeah, this I, don't, I don't think it's there yet, which is why I don't have kids yet. Right. Okay. I mean, like one of the reasons like I'm doing this research is to be able to 
know as much as possible when I decide to bring a child into the world. Yeah. So I don't think I'm, I know just yet, but I think that, um, trying to teach them the skills of figuring out what they're good at, figuring out who they're, who should be in their life, like who makes them feel really good. And then also letting them explore a much wider range of activities than I tried when I was little. I mean, like I had like three options when I was little. It was like piano, art, no, piano, flute, or mathletes. <laughs> mathletes. That was like it. That was, those were my three options for after school activities. <laughs> and I don't think that was happy making for me. <laughs> so then you discovered other things. Barely. I mean, I discovered homework. Now, and now you probably know why I didn't have a lot of friends. If like piano, flute, and math leads were my options. <laughs> well, are you a leading pianist now? No, no. My parents, my parents like bribed me to take piano for two years. And then I just quit because it was just terrible. Because that was not my skill set. Like that was not my strength. I'm like very, I have like no like name that tune. Like you could be humming happy birthday. And I'd be like, Oh, I know this one. Uh, like I, I have no tune. I cannot get a tune very easily. That's so funny. Don't make to... me sing, please. <laughs> All right. You're on. No, no, thanks. <laughs> it's funny. No, I, I, um, I took piano lessons back in the day. And you liked them? Um, no. no, I mean, I did for a little bit, but I just, I don't think I was natural. I, it was hard for me to like really naturally. I wasn't crazy passionate about it. I and think. I think like you almost said like, I wasn't naturally like good at like, not like there's like this, it didn't feel natural to you in some way. Yeah. I think that is like capability at its finest. Like kids should be able to taste test a whole bunch of activities until they get one where they're like, yeah, yeah, like I got this. <laughs> this just jives with me. Like I get it. I see it. Like, yeah. I don't know if you felt that with photography, but like when you first started taking photographs, I'm only assuming that like you just naturally like it fit, it like fit for you. It did. And that was the first time that was actually when I realized that I wanted to be a photographer, but that was my second career too. Yeah. <laughs> so, At least you discovered it, right? Like yeah. so many people go through life and they ne they never discover it. Yeah, there's that spark that was there that wasn't there with graphic design. Yep. Um, I still loved graphic design; that sure. was, it was great, but I didn't have that same spark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that mastery. So if we were in a networking event right now, like I would be like, "Yes, like I found I found that personal passion topic that he loves," and I would start talking to you about like truly like what what about photography? What are your favorite subjects? What are your favorite locations? Mm. So it's like the same kind of thing where I think we're always searching for like that that spark yeah. for someone, hopefully. Yeah. I think that's, that's good in conversations to f like look for that spark. Mm -hmm. mm, that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. This is fun. So this is what I want to, cause this podcast is a lot about art and yeah. the business of art. So mm -hmm. why is the social mm -hmm. aspect so good for making a living with yeah. art? Yeah. So, um, one of my favorite things to do in any city that I'm at, but especially in Portland, cause I live there is going to any of their art fairs, like the local, they usually do an annual Portland art fair where all the, all the artists around Oregon come and they exhibit and you see the work they've been working on all year. And I love it. Like they do it every labor day. And it's like my favorite thing we spend, my husband, and I spend all day walking around up and down, um, looking at things. And I notice that there's a pattern of the booths that are the most popular. Mm. and the booths that are not. And I think it has a lot to do, it had very little to do with actually the art that was there and it had a lot to do with the person. And so when I, when I would watch these booths and I see them and I do the same with the LA art show, you'll notice that the booths that are attracting a lot of people is it's when the person is sharing some kind of narrative, uh, some kind of discovery, mm. some kind of story. Mm. And that is because all art tells a story. And hopefully it tells a story on its own, but sometimes it does need 
like you to share the story behind it. Yeah. And so I noticed that the best, the artists that were just, people were like so excited about their art, whatever it was. And it was, it was photography. It was, um, sculptures. I mean, we had jewelry. I mean, it was all kinds of art. It was when they would pull people into their booth and they would say, can I tell you the story behind this piece? Mm. Can I tell you my story? Can I tell you how I discovered woodworking? It was always around something like that. And it brought even more human experience into their entire, everything that was in there. Yeah, And I think that that is the, the biggest thing is for, if you're an artist, forget conversation starters. I think it's really just sharing your narrative, your why, your discovery mm. in any way. It can be how you discovered your love of the art. It can be how you discovered the subject. It could be how you created the piece. Um, and it's mm. not that scripted this is a visual representation of the meaning of life. No, it's like, <laughs> how did you decide that this needed to be portrayed in a piece? Mm, mm. That I think is the most powerful thing that we can have around any kind of art. I like that. That's great. Now let's take that to a different side of the art of business, the business of art mm -hmm. and say where, you know, because, you know, with like for me, like I have to, work with clients and talk yeah. on conference yeah. calls and like, and like I, it's a dance, it's a social dance, especially being on set with, you know, I'm in charge I'll, I'll have 30 people on set and yeah. I'm in charge of everyone. And I have to dance with the art director and the clients and make sure that everybody's like happy while still creating mm -hmm. what kind of things can we do to bring that personally out? Cause some of, some of us, I mean, I'm the, you know, some of us are introverts, extrovert, yeah. extroverts and, there is that dance that has to happen. Um, yeah. So, um, actually I think that the best thing that can, you can, whether you're introvert or extrovert or you love that or you don't, um, people really trust in systems mm. of all kinds, even with like a dance. So especially when we're talking about like a big set of people or a huge project, or you're trying to sort of go back and forth with the client. When you say, I would really like you to get back to me by next week. Or, uh, all right, let's, let's get everyone together to fix, let's set up the lights and let's, uh, go get the rest of the gear. Yeah. It's actually much more powerful from a brain perspective, from a psychological perspective, if you can say to people, so here's how I usually work in the first phase, what we're going to do is, uh, we're going to, I'm making it up, right? We're going to get all the gear. Second stage, I'm going to have, uh, our lighting team set up lighting while our makeup team starts with the models. Mm -hmm. Even if there's not necessarily a system there, it makes people, it break, it, you give them a gift by breaking down what needs to happen in their mind. And mm. then they are much more likely to ask you less questions <laughs> and act on their own accord. And the same thing happens with clients. So even if you're selling clients on, on a painting, what you can say is you can break it down into phases and everyone loves this. The brain loves it. So, you know, so usually how it works is the first phase is we kind of get to know each other a little bit. I get to know your likes and dislikes. Seems like we already did that when we talked last week. Second phase is uh, I will create something for you, send you over drafts, whatever it is. Third stage, uh, you can send over uh, mm. your needs. I'll shoot you a delivery schedule, logistics. You'll review it. And the fourth stage is we'll accept payment and it will be delivered to you right away. Like that, that is what's happening, but you're yeah. just breaking it down to three steps. Got it. Setting expectations. It, absolutely. And it's like, it makes people pay more for you. It's the same thing as like whenever I talk to um, people in the corporate world and I'm mm. like, just having like a pamphlet that you hand people, it adds value to your service. Like mm. any kind of collateral, any kind of system or stage, it's like, oh, like they have their stuff together. 
So when you say, this is how I usually work to a client, here are the three different phases, mm. it actually adds more value to you as an artist and a business. Got it. And so the more that you can think about what your stages are, the more they will be respected. And that's how you don't get as many late payments. That's how you're not going to get as many people who give you pushback <laughs> because it's part of the system. Yeah. Yeah. Setting expectations right. and that's, that's great. Yeah. That's how we, we don't, you know, we don't move on to the next phase until I get payment until I get a deposit. <laughs> Sorry. That's part of the system. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now this, and this translates into the next thing I want to ask you is like, what is, so now what is the definition of the, of the psychology of selling? Like mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about that and how does like charisma play into that? So much. Uh, we really, when we buy things, we, we buy from the person and we decide within the first seven seconds if we like someone, if we're going to buy from them, if they're mm. the kind of person that we would buy for. Mm. So the psychology of selling is really all about trust. Um, yes, there's something about pain points and, and hitting needs. Yeah, yeah, that's in there too. But people really want to be able to trust the purchase, trust you and trust that you are going to be able to solve their pain points. Mm. And so what's really important is that you speak the kind of language that your client speaks. So this can be on your website, it can be in your copy, it can be when you actually meet them in person, mm. but you want to use the kind of words that they use. You want to be able to say, I am like you, you trust you, I am like you, I want you to trust me as well. Mm. And so when we think about trust and the science of trust, and this is a big topic, but just sort of giving you like the, like the, <laughs> the little science nuggets. science of trust, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a science to trust, like it's very chemical. Yeah. We trust people who we, when we release oxytocin, it's a chemical that makes us feel bonded to someone. Mm. And so uh, oxytocin happens when we make mutual eye contact, when we shake hands, um, when we feel like we're connected with someone. And the more we are alike, alike someone, the more trust we have, the more oxytocin we have. Mm. And so if you can focus on one thing for the psychology of selling, it would be, how can I show this person that I am like them and that I understand their needs? How can I do that with the words I use? How can I do that with my copy? How mm. can I do that with how I explain things to them? That is the number one way that you can get that oxytocin up from a verbal perspective. Oh, wow. Not nonverbal. Nonverbal is a different bag, but from a verbal perspective. <laughs> wow. Got it. So you have seven seconds. You're walking into a meeting. Yeah. How do you, how do you make somebody trust you in seven seconds? So in seven seconds, I'm going to just do nonverbal because really the first seven seconds usually are just nonverbal. Mm. It's like, I mean, even today, like I, I got out of an Uber in front of your place, like I waved to you and like I had to like walk down the stairs. Like my first seven seconds with you was completely nonverbal. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. so uh, I'll focus on that. So visible hands. It's actually like a, oh. from like a caveman. I'm talking about the caveman brain here, right? Like lizard brain. <laughs> so, um, visible hands, uh, fronting. So angling your toes, your torso and your head towards the person that you are about to meet, mm. uh, physical contact, like handshake, hug, high five that releases oxytocin. Um, it's one of the best ways to do it. And then mutual gazing. Mm. Um, think about it from like, uh, our ancestors, like our, our caveman ancestors. If you were approached by a stranger caveman and you didn't know if they were friend or foe, you would want to know, do they have a rock or spear that they're carrying to hurt me? And are they close enough to me where I feel like I could, I could like see their next move coming? Yeah. We do the same thing today. When you see someone and they have open hands, they give you a handshake, they make mutual eye contact and they're angling their body towards you. Your brain goes, okay, more like a friend. And it puts you into the friend category. Mm. And that's the, just the very basic, like the very like yeah. the foundation of, if you don't have that good, that, that seven seconds, you, it's very hard to get out of the foe category. Once you're mm. in it, it's very hard to get out of it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so the, the body language is key. So much, especially for trust, mm -hmm. especially for trust. And it sounds like that's, that's like the warmth side of things. Yes, very much. Competence is much more 
uh, comes out with verbal, it comes out with, with anecdotes, it comes out with how you speak, your voice tone, your use mm. of words. A little bit, you get a little bit of the competence around um, posture. So like how much of a power stance are you in? How broad are your shoulders? How low are your shoulders? Uh, how much testosterone do you have? That's a little bit of the competence side, mm. but it's much more about warmth and approachability. Interesting. Interesting. So when you're walking into a room, say, let's, let's take us to another social, social situation, mm -hmm. body language, when you walk into a room, how do you own that room? How do you, you know, you, you start out with body language, but then like, how do you work a room from there? So I don't, working a room is really hard. I mean, like people say that I hear that phrase a lot. I don't know if it's because I'm an ambivert or not. Like I have never really felt like I've ever worked a room. I don't know. Do, do you have <laughs> no, you? No, not yeah, at like, all. <laughs> I, so like, I think like, first of all, don't worry. If you don't feel like you, you don't know how to work a room or you don't feel like you've done it. It's okay. I think there are very few people out there who actually know how to work a room. Mm -hmm. I think what it's more about is actually knowing that map that I talked about earlier. So understanding that there is a flow to every event, right? When you walk in, you have a checkpoint, like just like a phase. Check in with the host, say you're here, thanks for having me, or you check in with the check-in table, whatever that is, or your ticket. Mm. Very next thing is I would very much encourage get something to hold in your hands. Get a drink, get a food, get a drink. And the reason for that is because <laughs> non-verbally, it helps you stay open. When okay. you don't have a drink in your hands, you're much more likely to put your hands in your pocket, cross your arms, or put your purse in front of you. And that's very bad nonverbal. So get that um, drink in your hand. It becomes like an anchor. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, nice and relaxed. Keeps your shoulders down. It makes you it gives you more natural movement. So I would say actually that flow, knowing that that's your flow, that's your plan of action, is actually a pretty good thing. Got it. And then Got stand it. in that sweet spot, right? Right after you get your drink, don't leave that sweet spot. Leave right where right where people exit the bar. That's where you're going to meet the most people. Okay, okay. Right when they have their drink and they're like, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. <laughs> that's you, That's your move. <laughs> Slide you know. in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, actually, this is a great question too, because are you going to Summit Series? This? Mm -mm. Oh, have you heard of Summit Series? Mm -mm. You should know about Summit Series. What is it? It's a, it's a, it's a community of entrepreneurs mm. and um, like founders and CEOs and venture capitalists and like charities and stuff like that. Cool. Um, this year they're doing it on the boat. There's going to be 2,500 people on a boat. Ooh, a cruise ship? A cruise ship. I love Not, cruise ships. Yeah. Oh, you, you love I, cruise ships. I do. Wow. I do love them. <laughs> it's like a contained, it's like a contained thing and you get like a social schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine a cruise ship with okay. 2,500 amazing entrepreneurs, authors, what? everybody's doing amazing things in their lives. What? When is it? <laughs> that is Summit Series. It's uh, November... Like 18th ish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. super cool. Well, if I can't go this year, I should definitely look it up for next year. Yeah, for sure. It's, Ooh, it's, um, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, the, what I, I was getting to is like, how do you, so in a place like this, it's easy to make conversations. You turn around, yes. bam, talk to anyone and you're, you're everybody there is, do, you know, everybody there is doing cool stuff, yeah. but how do you create, like, how can you create a, a, good, strong connection in a shorter period of time mm -hmm. so that you can, you know, meet, I guess, meet as many people as you can and then follow up later. I actually think it's really, really hard to create any kind of deep experience in that kind of situation. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't save it for later. And I call that bookmarking. So in an event like that, you're there, you know, you really are there to kind of, it's like a funnel, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you put a bunch of people in the top of the funnel, you meet a bunch of people, and then like you see who you kind of gra keep gravitating towards night after night. Mm. And then you see whose card you get at the end. And then you see who you email with and you see who you actually 
like see again or right. call. Right? It's <laughs> right. a funnel. Totally. And that's good. That's mm-hmm. like a good thing. And if you, especially if you approach it like that. So I wouldn't try to push people all the way through the funnel right when you first meet them. Cause I think that you, then it doesn't give you enough chance, a chance to sort of see who else is there and see if yeah. you gravitate towards them again. So what I would do is create like bookmarks. So you're chatting with someone cool. They run this awesome, uh, skateboarding nonprofit. And you think it's like, great. And you want to, and you're like, you know, who does the artwork on your skateboards? And they're like, you know, I'm not sure. You're like, you know, I have some great suggestions for you. Uh, I, I should, I'll, I'll email you some of their, some of their names after, after we're done with this thing. That's like a little bookmark. It's basically like, I want to offer something. I want to help. It gives you a reason to follow up with them. And that way you can sort of see what happens over the next few days. You have an opening to, to re-engage. Mm-hmm. You get home, you Google search them. You kind of see if you like their blog, see if you like their voice. And then you can email and say, here, you know, here are those names. Great meeting you. That's it. If you didn't feel like there was a connection or here are those names. You know, if you're ever in New York, I would love to take you out for coffee or I'd love to have you on the podcast. It's like a very nice way to sort of either continue it or not. And I write on the back of every single card what my bookmark was. Got it. Great. Great. Yeah. Bookmarks. (laughs) Bookmarks. Yeah. Good to know. So much, so much gold over here. All right. I'm throwing gold at you. Throwing gold. (laughs) You're such a wealth of information (laughs) and knowledge. I love it. All right. I love it. I love it. These these conversations inspire me. Yes. I, I mean... I love being able to chat with someone where it's like, we actually talk about real stuff, right? Like you're like giving me real scenarios, real situations. And I, they're things that I've struggled with myself. Yeah. So like if I can get yeah. any insight on any of them, it's like a win for me. <laughs> well, you're giving lots of insight Yay. and I love <laughs> <Good>. it. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but just like, sometimes it's so hard to get to that space. You have to like bounce back and forth and like see where you can like hit it with mm-hmm. that person, with a, with a new person. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And like, that is also okay. So in the very beginning of my experience, this, it frustrated me to no end when I would meet someone and I just couldn't, I couldn't find a spark. I wasn't having fun. And I'd be like, I'd be like pushing it, like pulling teeth. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like sometimes you just don't jive. Yeah. And that is okay. <laughs> How like, do you get, that's okay. <laughs> so how do you get out of a, how do you get out of a conversation Ooh, I call gracefully? That a, yeah. Graceful yes. exit. So graceful exit. I have a ton of graceful exit conversation enders on my website. Um, mm. because like actually there's an art and science to a graceful end because your first impression is important. We talked about that, but your last impression is also important, especially if it's someone who like you like, let's say that you like them mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, like we've run out of topics. We've been standing here for 20 minutes. I want to go meet other people. We've kind of, exo- you know, we have a bookmark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's like, like we're going to go to coffee, but like it's, <laughs> we're done here right now. Yeah. Um, so let's see if I can remember them. I, I put six up there that I use a lot, but they're basically, um, six different ways that you can gently transition into the out. And this is if you like someone or you don't. Oh. So I think one of them is future plans mentioned. So right now you're, you're talking to someone, you're present, your current state. Um, the moment you mention future plans, uh, it shifts into next state. So you go, Hey, mm. so what are you up to this weekend? So what are you up to later today? Going on any vacations coming up? Right. And they talk about that. And then you can say, well, I hope you have an amazing time at your sister's wedding this weekend. It was awesome talking to you. It's a very, very easy way. And you've already triggered their brain to go, mm. I'm in the next phase. In fact, they know, people know that's kind of a wrap up question. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's much easier to then wish them luck on that endeavor and Got then uh, uh, peace out. The other one is uh, you actually mentioned the bookmark. Mm. So um, you're talking about stuff and you're like, I think it's wrapping up. And you go, well, 
So I am definitely going to review for you. You wanted the skateboard artists and you wanted a list of my favorite uh, LinkedIn books. So I'm, I won't forget. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to take notes right now. It was awesome meeting you and I'll email you later this week. So you actually bring back that. It's very mm. conscientious. It's very, you're not, you're not dismissing them. You're not being rude. It's just a mention of the bookmark and then the close. Yeah. So those are the two that I can remember. There's other ones. If those don't work for you, there's other ones on my website. I like I it. Well, we'll, we'll link it up yeah, in the yeah, show yeah. notes. Yeah. We'll, so those are, those are two easy ones though. Okay. Good, good. I like <laughs> it. Love it. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you're, um, so let's, let's say when you're now you've done all this work, this, yeah. you've learned so much. Yeah. What fears do you still face today? Yeah. Oh, so many. What fears do I face today? Mm. Um, I'm really functionally scared about like the growth of my business. Uh, we're growing really mm. fast right now. And um, I've sort of outgrown my team a little bit. Wow. Like it's one of those things where I know I need to hire again. Um, I don't know exactly who that should be. I don't know what they should be doing. So functionally, I'm like, what do I want the next 10 to 15 years of my life to look like from a work-life balance mm. perspective? Right now, work-life balance has been slowly creeping into just work. Yeah. Uh, and I love my work, so it's okay. It's totally doable. But, like, it's not sustainable. And I, I can feel it and I know it. Mm. Um, I'm I'm burnt out too frequently these days. Yeah. And I know that I can get help. I just don't know exactly what that help is. So I'm really struggling, f- afraid that I'm going to lose perspective and balance. Yeah. And I'm terrified I'm going to make the wrong decision in terms of, like, the next stage of my business. That's, mm, I know that's a tough one. I know that's a, it's really hard. I don't expect us to solve it now, but <laughs> that is something that it's, I am thinking about it a lot. Um, and I, I don't, I'm also, also one of those things where it's not an urgent to do list thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think about it and I worry about it. And then I'm like, I'll worry about it tomorrow. I'll worry about it next mm. week. I'll worry about it next week. <laughs> and in the meanwhile, nothing is changing. So, um, that is something that I really like, like maybe next week I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> when I get back from New York, I'll think about it. <laughs> You'll think about it next week and then the next week. And then yeah, the week. next week. Maybe next week, Nick. Maybe Got next it. week. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can totally resonate with yeah. that. It's like, you know, it's funny because the further in life you go, you've, you and then you just, the more people you talk to, you realize that nobody really has it figured out. We're all no. just trying to figure it out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Can I mention like a really weird branding marketing example? Absolutely. Okay, so um, today, so Chobani Yogurt. Okay. Yeah. Um, this yogurt brand fascinates me because, uh, I, w- I went to the grocery store. I had never heard of Chobani before. Like this was like a year or two ago, no, a year or two ago when okay, they were first okay, starting, okay, never heard of them okay. before. I'm walking down the yogurt aisle and I, one of the things I like to do, cause I'm a creepy person is I like to look into people's carts. Like it's like my favorite thing. <laughs> I go to the grocery store and I look at people's carts and I'm like, Ooh, single, probably a sports professional loves to watch how I met your mother. Like I like, I love to do that profiles of people's <laughs> carts anyway. So I was like, and I'm looking around, I'm on the yogurt aisle and I see all the normal yogurt and then a 24 pack of Chobani. Who, who could eat 24 yogurts before they expire? No one. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at this thing. And, and this woman is looking with me and she like picks up the Chobani pack and she puts it in her cart. And I was like, are you going to eat 24 things of Chobani? And she was like, well, no, but if people only buy 24 packs, it has to be really good. Wow. And I was like, what? And so, so that like amazed me. And then they started doing individual packs, but I was like amazed that they actually did it by switching it around. And then they also just opened a shop in Soho. So there is a Chobani store, a store, 
Yeah. Like a coffee shop in Soho. And I walked by the store and I went in there and I like wanted to document the experience. So like I, I got my little yogurt with my little Chobani spoon and I was like, wow, they've actually done the exact opposite of probably what anyone else would say to them to do. Right. They're like, you're crazy opening a retail location in Chobani in, in Soho, but like it was packed. And so like, that's one of those examples of like, it's not, there's no path. Mm. Like there's no, like, here's how a yogurt company succeeds. Here's how a blogger succeeds. <laughs> like if you, it's not, it's the way that you decide to do it, mm-hmm. it. That's the way that you have to do it. And so that actually gives me a lot more pressure. Cause I feel like there is Ooh. no path for me. Yeah. You just got to follow what's inside. huh? Like I got to follow like the Chobani inside me or something, you know, like what's, what's my retail shop in Soho? <laughs> what's my 24 pack? There's your mantra. I know. Follow like the Chobani follow, inside follow, you. Follow the Chobani. Did you have I the peanut butter smart. and jelly, by the way? No, I had the fig and honey. Oh, Shoot. I haven't had that, but the. Did I miss out? PB&J by the way, spin. I am not sponsored by Chobani. Like I don't work for Chobani. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's like, there's no path. And that's, I think what's terrifying. It's more good. terrifying. It's good. It's good. <laughs> good stuff. Well, so one of the things I've noticed about you since you walked and you waved to me yeah, and you, yeah. you got out of the taxi, you waved to me, you walked down yeah. and then we've been talking is your smile yeah. and it's vibrant. It's your, I love it. Your energy is, is amazing. So is now smiling is, let's break this down a little bit. Yes, please. Tell us about the psychology behind smiling and how it affects other people and the warmth yeah. factor and... Yeah. So there are, um, many different kinds of smiles. Uh, there, they've actually identified 16 different types of smiles from voice tone alone. So like, for example, if I'm talking right now, so right now when I'm talking to you, I'm not smiling. So I want you to listen to the way I'm talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to me talking right now, I'm actually smiling. (laughs) And do you hear it sounds a little bit different? Absolutely. Amazing. So the, our smile actually makes our voice sound different. Um, and so our smile is incredibly powerful for our nonverbal, for our communication. What's interesting about smiling is uh, two things. One, uh, most people think that a smile is the true is a true indicator of happiness. It's mm. actually not true. The only true indicator of happiness is when the smile reaches all the way up into the upper crow's feet. So, mm. if you want to feel this, listening, you can put your finger in between your teeth and stretch your lips as wide as possible so they don't touch your <laughs> touch your fingers. You can try it. Uh huh. It goes all the way up into those top <laughs> muscles. Yep. Um, that only one in 10 people can consciously activate those muscles. So the, wow. yes, it's very hard to fake a smile. Right. And we know this, we see, we tell people good news and they're like, yeah, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> and they have this kind of fake smile. So we recognize true happiness. Yeah. And so when I'm sitting here with you, I only sign up for interviews where I know I'm going to be able to talk about things that I truly love mm. topics that like get me so excited because I know that I want to be able to smile in an authentic way because you will pick up on that authenticity. You will see that it, mm-hmm. it's a smile all the way up into those, into those crow's feet. And yeah. then happiness is contagious. When we see a smile, those muscles actually fire in our own face. Yeah. It's the same thing with like fear. We do the same thing with fear microexpressions. So microexpressions are very brief, inv- mm-hmm. involuntary facial expressions that we make when we feel an intense emotion. There yeah. are seven universal facial expressions. Happiness is one of them. So is fear. We see them, we tend mm-hmm. to mimic it. And so when I'm talking about something that I love, hopefully I then spread that smile to you. Yeah. Well, you've done it today. Yes. Good job. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so say you're walking down the street or whatever. How do you turn that on if you're not necessarily like in a space that's like making you smile? Is there a way to internally like draw that up? Well, some, some researchers say that you can fake it till you make it. 
Um, so some researchers, researchers actually say, and this is something called the facial feedback hypothesis, mm. that not only do your emotions cause your face, but your face actually causes your emotions. Um, and so that means that if you make a sad face, so a sad face, if you want to try it with me, is when you pull your eyebrows down and together. You can try it when you're listening. It's very hard. You pull your eyebrows down and together, and then you can pull... <laughs> I'm like the- contorting my face right now. <laughs> so, so here, watch me and then try to mimic me, okay? okay. So pull your, pull your eyebrows together, down, and then pull your lips into a little frown and then puff out your lower lip. Oh, you did it. You totally did it. Did you do it at home? So pull your mouth into a little frown and puff out your lower lip. That is a sadness microexpression. So if you hold that face for a few seconds, you begin to feel really sad. And that is because <laughs> it's okay, true. I'm laughing too hard right now. It's so funny. <laughs> it's true. So like, it's because I'm making a sadness face. Like you can't see like my sadness face. It looks like a puppy. So um, when you make that face, your body goes, I'm so sad. It's the precursor expression to crying. So happiness, they made people hold a pencil in between their teeth and wide, make their lips as wide as possible, like in a smile. And they had them rate the funniness of cartoons. And they found that people who had the smile, the pencil between their teeth rated them as funnier than people who were just in a neutral face. Interesting. So if you want to make yourself happier, you can actually try to engage your smile muscles. It actually can help you begin to feel happier. (laughs) Internally, otherwise, I always like the feeling of pride. Like pride is, I think, Mm. one of the most powerful feelings. So thinking about the moment that made you proud, something that makes you proud, a person that makes you feel proud of them. Mm. Pride is like a very happy-making, non-obvious happy-making emotion. Wow. Perfect. Mm -hmm. You're going to try this sadness later? You can. You want to? Yeah, try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like contorting my face to try it, but I'll be happier long more more often. I want to smile at people more. Yeah, totally. You know? And you can try faking it till you make it and see if it makes a difference. All right. Or try thinking about something you're really proud of and see if you can make other people smile at you. Uh, I wonder if that uh, would actually work. Okay. Okay. A little personal experiment. I think the other thing is when I'm like in a space where something doesn't, I'm like thinking really hard or like I'm. I'm like in a processing something in my mm, brain, mm-hmm. like turning that light, turning that on. Mm-hmm. Cause if I'm in a higher social situation where I need to kind of be more turned on. Yeah. That's the. Totally. And also yeah. people read like tension, right? Like our face, our facial muscles show like thinking, like they show that kind of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more that we can sort of figure out how we can turn on as opposed to off is better. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, there's so much I want. I got, there's so much more to talk about. You know, I wanted, always. There's like what the the science of intimacy, which yeah. I know you talk about on your website. Yeah. The, the science of influence. Yep. More of that, but we kind of got to bring it to a close. Maybe we can do a part two one day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That would yes. be a lot of fun. And um, also a bunch of articles on our website. So if you're like can't wait for yeah. part two, you can yeah. always look at that too. We have a, a program for the for the science of influence. Mm-hmm. Yep, science, I, I have a free influence. course on influence. Oh, Cool. So it's seven steps, science, seven scientifically proven steps to increase your influence. Just fun. It's like a fun course that I filmed that I thought was like, oh, this is great. Like, let's just do it. Awesome. What are yeah. the seven steps? We've got to watch the free course. Oh. oh. Actually, I, I well, truly I don't I, remember them. I don't remember oh, all of them. Oh, oh, I, oh, I memorized them. They're on the, I think they're on the post, but like. Okay, we'll, good. We'll, we'll link it up. Don't worry. Go check Testing it out. Testing my memory today. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple, we'll wrap it up with a couple more questions. First one is what would you, looking back. Um, what would you teach your younger self? What, th- what, what are the three lessons you teach yourself? Don't your study so self? much party more. Oh, I like it. Like s- stop studying. You're fine. Go party. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That's what I would tell myself. 
<laughs> Tell yourself and then do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's another one? Um, uh, get on LinkedIn faster. LinkedIn. Yeah. Huh. Like my network is a really important part of my business. And so I wish I had like cultivated that more from an earlier age, especially uh, like in college. I wish I had done it in college. Gotcha. Like I just on the street today saw a friend from college that I haven't seen. We've been out of touch. I haven't seen him in 10 years. And he was like, Vanessa. And I was like, Richard, it was like, it was like this weird thing. And I was like, gosh, like, I wish I had like, this is a great guy. Like why, why? I should have been like thinking about like maintaining these connections. Yeah. I spent four years with these people. Why, why am I like letting it go? <laughs> So yeah, man, I need to get my, my LinkedIn game on point. It's been well, maybe for you, it's like, you're not as, not as a big deal, you know, like for my business, it just is a huge thing with corporate consulting. It's like oh, yeah. huge to yeah. have that, to have that in. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number three. Number three, um, eat less meat. Oh yeah. I, I, I like meat, but I'm not like vegetarian or vegan or anything, but I used to think that like you had to eat meat cause it was healthy. Uh. Um, <laughs> I realized that's not actually the truth. So, um, I <laughs> wish I had like let myself order what I wanted from an earlier age. That sounds so silly, but not very deep, but that's probably, that's what I would have said. Well, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so last question is what I asked. I like to ask all my guests and what does live inspiration mean to you? I think it's always figuring out what you're curious about. So for me, my life is a series of if thens, mm. like everything I do is some kind of an experiment. It's trying a conversation starter or mm. trying a new business endeavor or going to an Bollywood dance class. Um, those are all like, if in my mind, those are all the if then experiences. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed that I am not inspired if I am not wondering about something. Yeah. And so any day that I don't have some time for some kind of experiment is not a good day for me. Mm. It's an uninspired day. It is a not as happy of a day. And yeah. so I think that it's like, what is my if then, what is my if then statement for today? Mm. And how can I be curious about it? Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. What was today's if then? Today's if then was I had a, a meeting with a publisher and it was like, you know, is, um, will I, will I, if, if I like this, if I like this person, then can I write an amazing book? I like it. And like, it was, I mean, I already knew I liked her and I was like, yeah, like, I think I can, I think I can do it. So that's sort of like the next, next phase. The next phase. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Vanessa, I thank you. I acknowledge you for being the light in the world you are thank and you. for making a difference in so many people's lives. It's oh, awesome. Thank you for having me on. And thanks for, for giving me some of your time listening and brainstorming with me all these kind of crazy geeky yeah, ideas. Yeah, I feel like we could talk for hours. Totally. We'll <laughs> do part two. We'll do part two. <laughs> um, and where can people find you and follow you on the interwebs? Yeah, scienceofpeople.com. Okay. Everything's on there. My lab's on there. You can play with us, all of it. You can find the Twitter, the, are you on Instagram? I am. Um, both Twitter and Instagram are at the Van Edwards. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Vanessa Van Edwards. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And don't forget, if you want to get some questions in for some upcoming solo podcasts, go over to Facebook and comment or tweet at me at Nick Onkin. If you also enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, Facebook, or tweeting the episode. And we'd love to see where you're listening to Shop Talk Radio. So post a little post on Instagram and hashtag Shop Talk Radio at reply me at Nick Onkin. 
and we'd love to see your visuals. So thanks so much for listening. And you know what time it is. Go out and create something great this week. We'll see you next time. Thank you.